Hello guys and welcome to the Fantastic Book Club. I'm one of the hosts, Tanisha Rai, and he is... I'm Swastik. And out here, we recommend each other book series. And the series that this guy recommended me was the Magnus Chase series by Rick Riordan. And, and today I will be discussing the first chapters, first few chapters of the book, Magnus Chase and the Sword of Summer. So, these are your type of books, right? The mythological kind? Exactly. My kind of fantasy, uh, the kind of fantasy that I prefer are basically like castles and uh, mythologies and gods and like basically basically the uh, Avatar, the last airbender aesthetics. That's like my ideal aesthetic, okay? In case of fantasy novel series. And yeah, also Rick Riordan is one of my probably my second favorite author i have not read as many books as you tanisha but i'm gonna say i pretty much <laughs> like him because of his uh humor and like uh his writing skill as a whole and also the type of characters that he introduces which we are going to come to later on i'm for sure like you're gonna be impressed i know yeah yeah this is gonna be interesting because this is so different from aesthetic it's going to be a good thing, okay? So, yeah. I think I will start with the chapter one. And, of course, I have to mention the name. Because it is one of the most peculiar ones I've ever read. Like, very few authors give chapter names nowadays. And when he gives this one, I think, I don't know what he was thinking even. Like, he literally named the first chapter, Good Morning, You're Gonna Die. And as much as this would sound like a threat coming from any real person, this intrigues you to a, a certain point. And the moment you kind of just scroll through the entire contents page, you would see that these are the kind of names he gives. And well, this is right where we start the first book. Okay. So uh, in the first book, Magnus is basically starting the entire narration by being insanely sarcastic. In the very first paragraph of the entire book, we get this very strange question. Can I die in agony too? Like he thinks we are going to ask that. But uh, he warns us against it. And I think for good reasons. Because the things he mentions are definitely things we don't want to see or something. Especially out of all the, you know, nasty things he says. There is one particular thing that just cracks me up. Which is basically swords flying up giant's noses. And as much as I don't know what these characters are, I would like to ask about one particular thing. What are undead warriors, Swastik? Well, um, for the audience, if, because you don't know, because we did not release that horrible episode, we actually are recording this episode for a second time. <laughs> Both of our first episodes were complete disasters. So basically, she asked me the same question and she basically thought that Undead Warriors were zombies. And I was like, that was the best joke of the I century. mean, it does sound like that. I'm pretty sure people who don't know, that's the first thought that come to, will come to their brain, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, they are not zombies, that much I can say. But you're going to have to wait and watch. Like, it's going to come up in the story in some weird way. And... It was weird for me too, just that um, I'm going to give the Greek method. Uh, did I just say Greek? Oh my God, such illiterate. Uh, the more Norse mythology uh, context, I'm going to provide you with that. So don't worry. I'm here for you. Okay, okay. 
I'm looking forward to it. So right after that, he introduces himself, like literally introduces himself by saying, my name is Magnus Jeeves. And after that, he just gives a short introduction of himself, like he's 16 year olds and stuff like that. And uh, here is a particular thing that I would like to point out about Rupi writing style. It is very much audience addressed. He writes things in a way that Magnus Jeeves is giving you the interview and he's interacting with you, not just kind of you know, lost in his own little world. And right after that, he just says one particular thing. My day started out normal enough. I was sleeping on the sidewalk under a bridge in the public garden when a guy kicked me awake and stayed there after me. Here, for him, normal means sleeping on the sidewalk under a bridge. And okay, that, that is gloomy. Because <laughs> I don't know, like 16-year-old and homeless and just sleeping under a bridge. And yeah, that, that is to me. And we right away know that Magnus' life is not the best. Like he is not living in some big house, though we later learned that he could have been if he had kind of traded with his pride a little bit to his uncle. But uh, right now we already know that he is not living the best life out there. He's literally the hero from the guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That is one of the things, you know, and uh, if you uh, look at his character, and uh, I think you know that I love character analyzing as much as media loves character assassination. Uh, So (laughs) he basically, yeah, he basically, you know, is is very thoughtful in a, what kind of, in an overthinking kind of man. If you uh, see his like next lines of his thoughts, if you ever read it, you would uh, like you obviously read it. I'm talking about the audience. <laughs> if you read it, or if you haven't, uh, there there are a lot of things happening out there. Like in his head, he's saying that uh, people might think of him as a loser. People might think that how sad. People might mock him, but they would at the end of the day, they think he's invisible. And uh, after right after that, he says, "No, okay, I don't need your sympathy." Uh, this is kind of him living in a denial because if he has taken out his time and thought about all those things, he's of course bothered that people don't care about him. He ha- uh, definitely has some issue with that. But right away, he's also saying that, okay, I'm cool that they are not having any sympathy towards me. So uh, what do you think about this entire prospect about his career? Well, uh, I don't know about the Character. career thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the character <laughs> thing, but um, I would say this, most of the 16-year-olds are in denial. Uh, like, that's just how it is, you know? Like, most of the 16-year-olds have not um, have that coming-of-age process. So, like, they have not yet solved the mystery of their identities. And, like... Uh, honestly, maybe he is trying to be like, when I see him from the inside of his brain, I feel like he has been through such trauma that he is tr- trying to be brave in his own way. And so the only way he can comprehend or come up with is that blocking the emotions of others to perpetrate into him. Like, that's the way I translate it. Like, that probably makes him feel that he is so much stronger. Yeah, that is a pretty good explanation. In my head, he is coming of age and all of that thing is happening, you know. But uh, somehow I also believe that 
uh, you know, like he didn't have anybody to share, like added to the things you said, of course. I'm saying that he didn't have, you know, we have our parents and after, uh, there are some things we cannot share with our parents, so we share them with our friends and stuff, stuff like that. We already know that, um, you know, he's not living the best life and his parents are pretty absent. It is evident out here at this point. So. I think that it has also to do something with the fact that he was left absolutely alone. So he kind of had to be strong. And uh, I think uh, there are kids like that in our world. Of course, they're not demigods, but there are kids like that in our world. So yeah, I would just like to point that out for a second. Uh, and uh, okay, back to the story. Uh, Magnus uh, recognizes the man who kicked him as Blitz. And he definitely, you know, describes him in a very peculiar kind of manner, uh, which I would come to later because I think that Magnus has a knack of just describing people in a very peculiar manner. Like saying <laughs> things like he has run through a dirty hurricane. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if somebody ran through a dirty hurricane or a clean hurricane or whatever, they won't be alive. But yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> It literally feels like a 16-year-old describing a person, like the way they see them. Like, it's, uh, I don't know, it's so good. Because, like, when I think about the fact that a writer, like, that is Rick, right? He has uh, molded himself or his emotions in the form of a 16-year-old. And then he has portrayed the character in such a good way. Like, that amazes me. Also, do you remember uh, the style of writing where um, J.K. Rowling introduced uh, Aunt Petunia as having, like, a extremely long neck? That thing, like, that was repeated so many times <laughs> throughout the Harry Potter series. Yeah, yeah that's the exactly. same vibe. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what? this also makes me feel of a particular thing. If you, uh, you know, he kind of describes everybody in a peculiar way, but he makes people he cares about even more peculiar, which makes me, uh, you know, think about the times when we call our friends, these idiots are my family kind of thing. You know, you kind of mock them to show your love. I think uh, Magnus doesn't know how to, you know, show his appreciate, appreciation uh, outwardly. So this is the way he does things like that in his head. In uh, his little world, this is the way he shows his appreciation what is happening to my pronouns. Mm -hmm. uh, so after that, uh, we, we get to know that Blitz is warning Magnus about a particular somebody chasing Magnus. And, uh, you know, Magnus is like, okay, who's after me? And uh, Blitz mm -hmm. is like, uh, I don't know, but they're kind of handing out flyers with your name and picture. And that is the point where Magnus kind of freaks out. Uh, because people, uh, according to him, like random police and park rangers are not a big deal to deal with. Uh, which is like a big deal to say for a 16-year-old. <laughs> I mean, which 16-year-old deals with random police and park rangers? And what is even a park? Par what, what is park rangers? This just I sounds think, such a weird thing. It almost sounds like a Power Rangers, but not quite. Like, I think uh, it's about, like, um, I don't know, some people. I, I, I think that's... A, uh, kids kids <laughs> in tech. Maybe. I, I think it's a completely foreign uh, concept for us Indians. But I guess it's something... But I have two uh, assumptions. One that it may be the people who take care of the park and like 
प्रिवेंट पीपल फ्रॉम लॉटरिंग वेस्ट ऑल अराउंड इट एंड दस डिस्ट्रॉइंग द एनवायरमेंट और नंबर टू इट कैन बी लाइक I don't know. Then people... it is absolutely, absolutely alien to us Indians. <laughs> exactly. We don't care about India. I mean, we don't care about environment. <laughs> we don't care about anything at all. We just live our lives. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back to the story. Yeah, but what was your second assumption again? Oh, right. Ah, uh, the second assumption was probably like, um. like someone who is taking care of the park like maybe like uh mowing the lawn or you know keeping the grasses at a perfect height from where it seems like it looks nice it kind of like that that was my second intuition that's it <laughs> yeah both are possible i think the first one is more likely but yeah both are pretty possible yep. uh okay So out here, Magnus kind of thinks that dealing with all those people is okay, just fine for him, which is already messed up. But uh, then he says that if somebody knew my name and my face, that was bad. So uh, we already, you know, this entire aura of the entire first chapter is like everybody keeping secrets from everybody. Like Magnus's mother is keeping <sighs> secrets from her, from him. His uncle is keeping secrets from him. He is keeping secrets from us. Like everybody is hiding something from. from somebody and mm-hmm. out here we get the first you know glimpse that knowing his name and face was bad so uh, right other questions comes and i think i can answer it within a few minutes that why it is bad because we get, do get why he's hiding and stuffs like that and why he's homeless at this point at such a tender age uh, so then he just thinks about you know I would like to point out one more thing. Out of all the you know things he's thinking about, who could be searching for him? There is a particular point he says that maybe the folks at the shelter were mad at me for breaking their stereo. Those Christmas carols have been driving me crazy. Just think about this. Just makes me think that he does have some anger management issues. Because okay, like I think like this this has kind of messed him up. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, I think like yeah. it's not only just anger management issues. First of all, it's just normal teen angst. You can't just blame a person for that. Like, if any adult is listening to us, uh, don't blame your kids. Okay. Yeah. Good. Ah. Uh, uh, no. Okay. Okay. Let Let me just tell you that if somebody is playing loud music, my first instinct is to close the doors. He doesn't have doors, so of course he doesn't yeah. have much space to hide or anything like that. But uh, the next thing, the next best thing you can do is like you don't know, not pay much attention or kind of ask them to stop it. But uh, of course, I would never just go and break it. So, well, uh, and I don't think Magnus yeah. has any like it's. I don't, I don't recall any um, mention of any mental illness if Magnus has any. But I guess people with autism have a hard time with dealing with. loud music and loud noise and in general you know like um so that's kind of is the life for some people but i really don't think that magnus has that or maybe he has that i just don't remember it's yeah my brain is kind of crazy but yeah i do feel like it's normal for some people but for magnus yeah so over the series he doesn't show any other anger management issue kind of thing 
Oh, just wait up. Yeah, he is an interesting character. <laughs> yeah, that is your dramatic voice again. Yeah. Uh, so, at this point, Magnus packed up his stuff, which was uh, practically nothing. I and mean, then he just decided that he is going to blend in with the crowd and kind of find the people who are looking for, for him. So, Blitz, he turned to Blitz and asked him, who are these people that are, uh, you know, trying to search him out? So Blitz answered that it is a middle-aged white guy and his teenage daughter. Uh, his answer kind of confused Magnus to a point that he decided that he is going to find them out and, uh, you know, just decide that why they even came looking there for him. Because for people, I'm going to like give a little bit of trivia. For people, Magnus is as good as dead. His entire family doesn't know that he went missing for entire two years. He has been missing and his immediate family consists of three people and one of them doesn't care and the other two doesn't even know. So uh, he isn't really important to them, I think, I guess. To this point, that is what I thought. So uh, he kind of just decided that I will go and uh, look whoever is looking for me. Manuscript along the pond and tried to find who is searching for him. What did he see at this point? He saw that there is a sandy haired, you know, white guy, and there is his teenage daughter who's uh, roughly around his age. And the man is kind of dressed in a very weird way, while his daughter is dressed more sensibly. And, you know, out here, there is a very strange line that if she was looking for me, I did not want to be found. She was scared. Why do you think like he said that? You know Annabeth quite well, right? Well, yeah, I am very much accustomed to Annabeth. She was kind of like my crush even when I was reading through <laughs> the Percy Jackson series. Yeah, like uh, I like women who are strong. So, and she is a she is a strong ass woman. I am gonna tell you right now. Like she is. Ah, uh, you kind so of have to be strong if you want to be scared. <laughs> Yeah, but like uh, Annabeth is on another level. You like she literally. Okay, no, I'm not gonna give you spoilers about put the Percy Jackson series or the Blood of Olympus. But uh, let me just tell you that most mm. people are scared of Annabeth uh, be, because of the first impression vibes that she gives are basically scary. Like literally, if someone like. I do have this character in mind when they met Annabeth. The first thing Annabeth did was threaten them to death and said, where is my boyfriend? Like, that was a scene in a novel. So, yeah, you get it. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Magnus out here was looking at both of them and he was trying to process in his brain that, well, why do I know these people? What did I do to them? But they're looking for me with literally fires. So he couldn't like uh, any point any fingers in his head that who these people are. Uh, at this point, the girl technically tells her, you know, apparently her father, that unbelievable, I want to strangle him. She must have t- told it like in a pretty scary manner because that made our poor Magnus, you know, hunker down <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and, and yeah. You know, her dad kind of assured her that 
uh, you shouldn't kill him. He's your uncle. So, of course, Magnus is 16 and he kind of, according to the description of the girl, she's also around his age. So, he is not his uncle. So, he's kind of safe at this point. So, yeah, Annabeth tells her father that she's not yet introduced as Annabeth, but I just, oh, okay, okay she's Annabeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's Annabeth. We know her. Yeah. <laughs> she's Annabeth. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the girl kind of asks her father that what kind of person just doesn't give this important news for two entire years. So this is the point we actually know in the book for the first time that, you know, Uncle Randolph, our dear uncle, hadn't even told their relatives that his nephew had gone missing. Like, who does that? I don't know. Like, this is one of the entire instances in the, you know, I haven't read much far. I have read around till chapter four or something. So <laughs> until that point, like, this is the only one of the few times that I really, really hated Randolph. Like, uh, I thought that, you know, Percy's mom wasn't that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because other than that, I thought he was more like a, you know, battered puppy. So uh, at this point, like that uh, was perfect. <laughs> that was a perfect metaphor. Yeah, yeah, because that is the kind of vibes. Like he doesn't scare me in some way. Like he lives in a creepy house, but living in a creepy house is something anybody can do. I think. <laughs> so uh, let's continue. Um, so the girl is kind of conversing with her father, and uh, this is the um, through this conversation, like it uh, is given away that she, her name is Annabeth because her father calls her that, of course. And that is the point where, you know, Magnus's brain clicks and uh, he kind of just joins all the dots and decides that, okay, she's Annabeth, my cousin, and that is Uncle Frederick. Uh, this leads to a very interesting flashback scene. And I love this. Like, this is the part of the first chapter that I love the most. I don't know, just, this just gives me so many, you know, vibes. Okay, so the flashback scene starts in the library of Uncle Randolph's townhouse. And, uh, okay, I have a, a certain something to tell about this later, but till now, I will just, you know, continue with the flashback. In the library, uh, Annabeth and Magnus are playing with dominoes, like kids too. And Annabeth says a certain something, which is, you're lucky you live with your mom. So, uh, do you notice this entire part where he, where she calls his mother mama? Like, she doesn't say that uh, you're lucky you live with your mother or something. Uh, this somehow just gives me the feeling that she uh, kind of just, you know, wants her mother or is she dead or has something happened to her? Was she close to her? Yeah. I just don't know. The entire thing that she called her mama, like, calls somebody's mother mama and not just mother, it, there's just so much affection, you know, wrapped up in that entire small sentence. Yeah, well, is, for Annabeth, it's like... Um, what is the entire thing going on? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's not uh, like her mom is not dead because she can't be dead. Well, uh, I don't think I should give you spoilers because maybe we would touch the series, Percy Jackson series, we don't know yet, but... Okay, so she's... Should I tell you? No, I shouldn't. Should I? Okay. So Annabeth, Annabeth is a demigod too. Stop teasing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, get on with it. Get on with it. So basically, something won't hurt anybody. So Annabeth is a demigod too. So you can see that her, her father is human. So you get the gist, right? 
what do you exactly. think about that's this entire, the, you know that's act? the form of humor of magnus cheese like sometimes you feel like that's too childish uh, of him but at the same time sometimes it's the the sarcasm the sass level is like so adult like it's just so fulfilled and developed like it's kind of complex but yeah that's what makes magnus magnus that's that's it yeah <laughs> yeah and i think that he was pretty much fond of his cousin because he clearly cared about anna but enough to just not let her be upset but there is also this particular line out here which says that i had learned the hard way you never walk in a, into a situation until you understand what's going on and okay okay you can underline it and note it down but this this is a pretty good you know advice for everybody out here you do not walk into a situation until you understand what's going on and luckily our guy follows it but luckily it doesn't work out much well for him either <laughs> even though he follows it that's magnus <laughs> so, speed yeah i you know like if the demigod lives like a homeless guy i still think that that would have been a worse fate than dying and living like a demigod i think so like having a uh, you know life filled with a lot of tragedies is still somehow better than having a life without anything to note down at all exactly that oh my god we should li- like uh we should like a philosophy book together that's like literally my point of view of life but yeah moving on yeah <laughs> okay, okay, okay yeah right at this point uncle frederick kind of informs anabeth that randolph is sure magnus is like uh so this also makes me think that if maybe randolph was kind of snooping on magnus but Oh, maybe he just knows that he's a rich guy. He can know things. Uh, out there, we also uh, get this line that Magnus was shivering, but it wasn't really from cold. He it was probably shivering from anticipation. Uh, and it was it was supposed to be cold. The entire weather that is kind of described, there is snow and stuffs like that. He's supposed to be cold, but he's not shivering from cold. And there we get him uh, recalling about his mother that. his mother thought that he's a polar bear which is um, you know cute and everything but this is also sad because it just it it is sad that every little thing around him kind of leads to the memory of his mother and he cannot really have her because we end up seeing that she was killed and she was brutally murdered but how i'm going to tell i'm going to tell you later about it Well, so, you just okay. mentioned something so significant. I'm gonna like pause you right there and insert this. Okay, well, okay, okay. I don't know like uh, how much you have read still now, but um, the fact that you mentioned that he is not shivering from cold but from anticipation, and that the fact that her mother, uh, that his mother, called him polar bear because he doesn't feel uh, cold. like that's a very important point in the storyline along the storyline throughout the books like yeah it's going to come up ah <sighs> uh, is it okay does the reason come up before his time or after his time and this is not a spoiler because you know Rick Riordan spoiled it in the first few lines <laughs> that he's going to die okay well uh, <laughs> it comes after his death yeah sure 
Okay, okay. I I have read to his death, so okay, we will see about that. Nice. Uh, so he is confused out here that why would his uncle dearest call his other uncle and his daughter out here because he had never bothered to you know contact Magnus or find him in the past two years. Why is it so important suddenly? And uh, there is only one way at this point that Magnus could think of, which, uh, well, which moral judge, with which morally judgy people might think a little bit questionable, but Magnus's first instinct is to just snoop into Randolph's home and find reasons why things were happening. And she just wanted, he just wanted to know that what was going on and why people were, uh, you know, Find, trying to find him and this is the point where the first chapter ends and now with that we come to the second chapter where our hero is gonna go to the brownstone he's so much uh the first line of this entire chapter which already has a very peculiar name which is the man with the metal bra is that the family mansion stuff and mm, okay like he hates his uncle but somehow you know his hate has spread over that entire mansion and then he gives a very vivid you know description of that mansion that it's it's a six-story building with brownstone and you know the impression i get from this entire you know description of the mansion is that it's a six-story house and randolph lives alone and as much as i know that uh you know magnus doesn't live there and everything and there are reasons for it probably but that uh, doesn't just make me feel bad for Magnus, who's living on the streets uh, while his uncle has a six-storied house. It also makes me kind of feel bad for this Randolph guy because, you know, it, it, it has to be lonely. It has to be lonely to uh, live in a six-storied house. Uh, I have actually got a question out here. There is uh, one of the things called a brownstone uh, with gargoyles on the corners of the roof. What is gargoyles? I don't even know the meaning of this word. Oh, uh, well, what are gargoyles? Gargoyles are basically like, um, how do I describe it? It's basically like, uh, you recognize those uh, sculptures, right? Oh, from where the fountain comes out from, say, uh, from the beak of a dolphin or like the mouth of an animal. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like those. Yeah, so those are the gargoyles, but those are some specific kind of gargoyles. But uh, in general, gargoyles are like these... Um, I mean, they are a peculiar kind of, to me, they are scary, but uh, they are supposed to be like this holy spirits, which basically come to life when, um, I mean, the house is in danger on like, or like, like the house member, the family members are endangered, uh, that kind of stuff. So like, they are basically like holy spirits uh, saving the house or so goes the belief. And so, yeah, those are the sculptures. Something like a guardian angel, right? Yeah, kind like of. a guardian angel. Then. Yeah, it's like a guardian angel of the whole uh, house and the mansions and stuff. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, okay, then we move on and uh, we get the fact that, uh, you know, that house is to belong to Magnus' grandparents and it has been inherited by Randolph because he's the eldest kid. Uh, and there is a very interesting part. Uh, like he says that, I never knew much about the family soap opera, but there was a lot of bad blood between the three kids, Randolph, Frederick, and my mom. So uh, as much as we get a very you know, significant piece of information that 
not only Magnus's mom, but Frederick didn't uh, like, uh, you know, Randolph either, or maybe her too. I don't know who hates whom at this point, but uh, <laughs> he called it a family soap opera. So uh, I am guessing that a lot of people hate a lot of people. So yeah. <laughs> and uh, we also get to know that uh, he never went back to that brownstone after uh, that Thanksgiving where he was playing dominoes with, uh, you know, Annabeth. And there was that quarrel and yeah. everything. Uh, but yeah, after that, uh, there, there is this, uh, you know, uh, when mom, uh, when Magnus's mom was alive, every time they drove past the brownstone, she would say, see, there it is, avoid it. And uh, this makes Randolph almost like an urban legend, right? Like <laughs> in Magnus's head, he doesn't even know this guy. That is what I'm thinking constantly that, you know, a lot of people kept a lot of things uh, in dark from him. And I, I, we know that why it is so he couldn't deal with so much information at such a tender age. But, yeah. uh, you know, like that almost escalated uh, Randolph into the, to the quality of an urban legend. Like he isn't even real for Magnus. Exactly. He's just this guy who whom everybody hated. And that is that that is something we're gonna see later. That he kind of thinks that he's he's uh, somebody he can sympathize with at certain points, but uh, his uh, the picture his mom painted and uh, the picture his seclusion painted, all of those things uh, has somehow affected the image of Randolph in his head. So that again made me think, is Randolph really the bad guy? Of Magnus thinks he is because uh, yeah he just doesn't uh, seem that bad at this point uh, but uh, then again uh, like he he does uh, did actually you know avoid Magnus completely for so many days so I don't really know what to do yes uh, it almost seems like uh, Magnus is so much like detached from his uncle that at this point he doesn't even like know him as a person rather he remembers uncle randolph as a memory and what is left of him of that skeleton of that memory is basically um like this um fear that his mom embedded into him i mean like that's the way i see this um I don't know how to feel about Randolph because I have obviously like read the whole series, but um, I mean, we feel different emotions at different places throughout the series. But at this point, even I felt like he is either a brat or he's just misunderstood throughout the first few chapters. So yeah, I get you completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, after Magnus uh, lost his mom and he was living on the streets and everything, he used to sometimes, uh, you know, walk by the brownstone that belonged to his grandparents and now his uncle. And uh, there is a very vivid description out here, you know. Uh, he says that I would peer in the windows and see glowing display cases of antique swords and axes and creepy hermits with face masks staring at me from the walls. Statues silhouetted in the upstairs windows like petrified posts. Uh, so let me say, like this entire uh, you know aesthetic gives me vintage vibes. This is honestly like the most vintage thing I have heard. But uh, just think about it without the uh, you know diction Magnus used. 
there are statues, there are swords, there are display cases. If you think about that, that's from the you know the kind of diction he used, which uh, involves the thing called creepy and petrified, all of those things. When you think about it, what do you think of that entire image? Like, I it's not that unpleasant, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I feel like the fear in uh, Magnus's mind uh, somehow exaggerates the way he sees the things, or at least he uh, feels a certain way about these things. I mean. Okay, the house described here is basically like the most feudal kind of house that can be possible on the face of the earth. Okay, like it literally is. So I wouldn't say weird, but it's kind of rare and almost like a historical. Uh, let me uh, let me tell you one thing. Like when I read about this description for the first time, this somehow also made me think to some extent about Hogwarts, and that's a place we all love. So uh, uh, yeah, you know Hogwarts. <laughs> more peculiar than this but the description fits the entire vibe like without the diction exactly but you yeah. know that is how i saw it so i, I mean, absolutely agree with the point that his fear is exaggerating that entire thing yeah just that the um, i would just like to imply that hogwarts described in the books is way more fun but the way Hogwarts was uh, like depicted in the movies, though it was quite accurate, but uh, at the same time, it became when it got more materialistic uh, because of the visuals, right? So it became more yeah. uh, feudal and less imaginary, and that gave it a certain vibe which matches here. But I feel like when a person is reading through the books, right? So uh, when the Harry Potter series, I don't feel like the vibe that the person would get while reading the books is exactly uh, equal no, to this actually, one. Actually, maybe not the first book, but about the second book, when, uh, you know, that entire, uh, you know, Gilderland Lockhart, Lockhart kind of leads them down and uh, all of that. Oh, yeah, thing that happens. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that. that one. Yeah, it, sure. Yeah. So th those things are happening out there and, you know, it is more dangerous than this. But Harry never ever described Hogwarts as petrified or something because he wasn't scared of that place. He loved that place. But out here, it, it is the perception. That is exactly what I'm speaking about. Exactly. That is yeah. the fun thing about reading anything through someone's point of view. Right. For Harry, it was like the yeah. second home, or actually not even the second home. It was literally his first yeah, home. Yeah, it was his home. Yeah, Hogwarts was his home, and Magnus is like, that's the last place on earth he wants to be in. So, yeah, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. But mm -hmm. So, uh, a lot of times, you know, Magnus just thought that maybe uh, he would just go break in or something like that. But he was never tempted to knock on the door. He, he could, you know, sacrifice his morals a little bit, but he wouldn't sacrifice his pride. And uh, that all gave me such teenage vibes. I mean, that is all teenage is about. I think. <laughs> yeah. some extent. So <laughs> there he says that he would rather live on the street and eat, you know, stale uh, food, especially like day old falafel or something they got get to the food court. But he would never ever beg that house. And, um, you know, he sometimes, you know, just thought that maybe he could just, you know, phone things. That is the exact thought going on in his head when he's heading there to, you know, collect information. 
at this point, he's just thinking that maybe I can just go there and find a few things to sell them and earn some food for a few days so that I don't have to eat steel food and things like that. And that is sad for a 16-year-old. He's too young to worry about those things. But he has been doing that for two entire years, which has to have started since he was 14. And that is just way too young, way too young. And yeah. uh, here again, we get another glimpse of the sarcasm of you know Riordan. He say, uh, he doesn't say, Magnus says, uh, <laughs> after saying that he want to pawn on the so uh, you know the stuff he's gonna steal, and uh, he says that sorry if that offends your sense of right and wrong. This is also so important. Like this is not just him being sexy, but uh, okay. He, this, this is so, uh, you know, there is nothing called absolute wrong and right. We all know that. And somehow this just makes me feel like uh, the author kind of trying to point at it. Like, we have absolutes, right? The absolute right and absolute wrong. And both are impossible to, you know, get. Uh, so, mm. yeah, this is this is something that I think that I should have, I can mention at this point. That this is also, I think, convincing to it, something like that. But uh, okay, after that, uh, you know, Magnus just kind of, though he says that he's not, uh, you know, sorry about anything, he still decides to clarify that he's more like a Robin Hood without the, you know, donation part. <laughs> he never steals from anybody who's poor. But yeah. That's something that I like associate very uh, specifically with Magnus Trees, you know, like he goes on saying that I don't care. I don't. I don't care. Like, whatever I do, I am owning it and stuff. But then in the next line, he's like, okay, you know what? I should give an explanation. So I did it because of this. And please don't mind it because I'm not rude, but I just was trying to be, you know, like the teenagerish most thing. Like, that's something I find um, cute in a very Magnus way. Yeah, that's so originally Magnus Chase. Yeah. <laughs> in a very Magnus way. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i am already noticing the pattern like in i've read a few chapters really and i'm already noticing the pattern yeah uh -huh. he is that person and right after that he actually magnus actually decides to go you know uh to the entire brownstone and you know get information about himself and when he's waiting the door he goes there and you know he, there is this entire boast out here that he's uh saying that he could the log a harder log than the one Randolph has used, and then there's this line saying, Two months later, I was inside. This is something he was proud of, but he's not even saying that he's proud of it, but he's somehow proud of it. And <laughs> yeah, he, he lives on the roads, and uh, this is the life he has to lead, keep himself alive. But uh, that that just makes him proud. Instead, uh, we are gonna get another line later that he is smart enough to, you know, get to Howard. And uh, then he's proud of picking the locks. That is such a shift from the life. It is not, you know, it, it, is, it sounds kind of funny, but it sounds kind of sad, so I don't know how to feel about it. But a person who has the capability to go into Howard is later on his life, uh, you know, picking locks and being proud of it. That is just, that is just so gloomy somehow. Yeah, so I, I guess that's uh, Rick's way of saying that, I mean, when life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade, use them to make girls cry. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. What is this quote? I don't know. 
uh, it, it's it's um it's from it's a lyric from uh, I don't know what is that lemonade lemons from uh Cave Town. There's this singer called Cave Town. So when life gives you lemons, you don't make lemonade. You use them to make girls cry. You take those lemons, no sugar at all, and squirt right into their eyes. I love this uh, line so much. I used to hum that all along in 2020. But yeah, that's 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 the exact oh vibe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So, yeah, after that, he goes into the kitchen. And he does, <laughs> this is uh, what, uh, you know, uh, little things that I'm noticing out here, that he knows that his entire life is probably depending because people are, uh, you know, walking around having flyers and his uh, old family is trying to reconnect with him or rather find him and uh, all of that jazz. But he is out there going to the kitchen first because, yeah, he was. So that makes me feel like he was hungry throughout this process. But he has dealt with it so much that he wasn't whining about it a single bit throughout this, you know, entire day they have been going through. He wasn't whining about it at all, but he was hungry because he went to the kitchen first. So uh, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say, but his life has been so strangely sad. But this, this is just bad. The way I see it, though, is that uh, to Magnus, um, like food is a very important part of the day, right? Like we are like, I don't want to eat the food because I'm not hungry. And like uh, we do these kinds of like bratty things all day long. But for Magnus, he has to like find food for himself because he lives on the roads. So um, to him, food means a lot than it does to us right so i guess going to the kitchen yeah. and, and like uh snatching away some food from there to me um uh, like the way i read it read it is like uh, he basically is attacking randolph uh from the point that he feels like is the most um how do you put this um the most uh sensitive area of Randolph, I guess. That ah, that, that sounds like a rabbit thing. After he goes to the kitchen, though, he eats the stuff he finds there and drinks some milk and everything. And he also tries to find the caliper, but he can't and he's kind of disappointed about it. And then he takes a piece of chocolate, a bar of chocolate in his pocket because chocolate must be savored, not touched. Oh, yeah, this this specific I, line. I, let me just yeah. stop you. And yeah. this, this specific line. Oh my God! Like this is repeated so many times throughout the story. You, reason behind I love Magnus Chase so much. That's like, oh yeah. This is gonna come up again and again. Just like you know that I don't compute thing with eco. It's gonna come up again and again. This line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i get it you know and after that he <laughs> i don't know okay i i would like to add that he's been challenged and that is something i love so much because in most of the wire books the wire characters grow up so much and they act so much like adults that i'm just like okay i do not act like that and i'm 17 and you're 16 and how are you acting like that like hmm. oh yeah I, I get so often that most of the times that because that somehow makes me feel like I'm being, you know, way too childish or something. <laughs> and out here, him being uh, like that somehow makes my heart feel good. It gives peace to my soul. But <laughs> after that, he goes to the library upstairs. 
and uh, you know uh, he he just uh, thinks that maybe all of that creepiness that this brownstone has it has somehow led you know to his, his mother to become the outdoor person she is and he also recollect, uh, you know recollects his memories about them going hiking and they used to have such uh, fun memories with you know running around with small animals here and there and everything but after he reaches the library he uh, sees a completely different picture like from the memory he is experiencing right now which is so full of life and so full of you know air and sunshine and all of that things the library is so different uh, there is a, a detailed description of the library and uh, it is filled with viking helmets and corroded axe blades and somehow uh, all of these things give me such a you know like a grim reaper energy to it the grim reaper vibe to it that um that that will come up later because at the entire conversation that happens in that library is so so fitting with the entire vibe that library is giving at them in that moment uh okay so <laughs> at this point uh, randolph also recollects that his mom uh, has had one told him that randolph used to teach uh, you know history at harvard and some big disgrace got in her so is it true because i i was really doubting this is it true yeah well uh, yeah it's going to come up soon i mean not maybe not soon maybe in the upcoming i don't remember exactly where but i guess in the upcoming chapters or maybe even in the upcoming book i don't really remember but yeah it's it's true and it has a big background story yeah ah ah i i i don't know like i am guessing because i have read something like from his past in the upcoming chapters so i don't know if that is somehow related to it, but yeah we will see so um you know this is the point i'm talking about he also recollects that his mom used to tell him that he's smarter than either of his uncles and he can get into harvard that that was what exactly i was telling a few uh, you know minutes before and okay after this in the library he finds this you know tombstone like structure and this again goes with the entire death imagery the grim reaper imagery and uh, in front of, of that you know tombstone like structure there was this a uh, beast drawn which is a lion or a wolf and uh, magnus has a very bad experience with wolves especially because you know those are the eyes he saw when his mom was attacked and everything like that so he has a very very you know he still shuddered in the with the image of a wolf and this is the point where i get another you know glimpse of the ptsd because he definitely has ptsd at this point which is because he lost his mother to an accident or rather an attack so yeah i i i just i have a you know thing for mentioning mental illnesses of which i might see anything so yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on yeah after that he he uh, okay one of, another thing i would like to point out most of the fantasy worlds somehow uh, you know make our world seem ancient most of the fantasy worlds just deals with with the world you know even uh, in the harry potter universe we don't see harry ever deal with anything in the modern gadgets mostly because those weren't allowed in the magic world but uh, in most of the fantasy series somehow those mobile phones don't exist computers don't exist but here it seemed like magnus was expecting a computer so that's good somehow 
they didn't just discount the fact that we have. I would just like to add something here that Rick Riordan. I I don't know whether he decided this suddenly on a fine evening that okay my fantasy novels are gonna have uh, technology from now on or something, but um, this is what happens, right? So in uh. I mean, this is not really a spoiler. This is just a trivia. So, like in Percy Jackson series and the Blood of Olympus series, which is basically a continuation of the Percy Jackson series, uh, in there, people don't use uh, smartphones or lap. Like there is use of certain devices, but they are heavily like divinely protected, or like maybe not divinely protected, but a supernatural protection is working there. Okay. and uh the only times that we see a normal smartphone being used so uh they the only reason rick gives in the uh, throughout the novel series is that smartphone signals or like uh these electromagnetic waves are going to attract monsters to the demigods and endanger their lives so uh that's like a viable um, reasoning he provides in those but in um, i specifically remember this because uh, an event is going to happen later on in the like the magnesty's uh, chronicles like yeah something is coming up and you're going to be like oh i mentioned this before this is happening now yeah an event is coming <laughs> yeah. yeah okay 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 i will be looking forward to it so after our guy reaches the library he uh, you know after that Inside tombstone tree, he notices that there are, uh, you know, old medieval kind of maps spread on Randolph's desk, and uh, these, uh, you know, maps have letters he cannot read. Those uh, letters almost look like, you know, uh, ancient or something like that, and uh, he uh, doesn't, you know, understand any of that, and he thinks that the parchment is also very thin. And this just makes me okay. Okay, what what are those functions about? What are what are those maps about? Ah, uh, I'm surprised that you don't know about that. I mean, aren't you supposed to know that because you have read till Magnus's death? I guess you should know. Yeah. No, I I don't. I know. Okay, let's read through the chapters, and maybe if you still don't uh, can't connect the do- dots, maybe I will help. I would help you out. Yeah. Okay, we we don't stop going inside my brain. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So, uh, the the domino thing again comes up, except right now when he opens the pouch, he thought he recognized. It is not filled with dominoes, but you know they look like dominoes, but they are not actually dominoes because there are symbols on them. And the one he picks up in his hand is a uh, that looks like a distorted F, like you know, uh, it looks like a weird kind of F, like slanted and everything. So okay, he feels kind of claustrophobic after this entire thing. Like he is feeling like the walls are closing in on him, and uh, you know he's somehow you know feeling very. Hey, you know the way you feel when you cannot breathe and stuff like that, and uh, this just gave me such a feeling that it is his destiny collective or something. Because as much as I don't know about Norse mythology, these things uh, make me feel like uh, you know that he's being called by something, someone, somebody. Uh, they they have to be connected with Norse mythology, right? The domino things. Why? I-
it is directly connected with Norse mythology, but I guess you haven't gone there yet. So let's wait. I mean, there are some peculiar signs that Rick uses uh, in his literature, right? So I know you haven't read Cain Chronicles, but there are like, it's basically based on Egyptian mythology and there are like so many hieroglyphic uh, like runes and, oh, I just spoiled it. Oh my God, I just spoiled Wow, okay. Um, so that's a okay, rule. You just spoiled something and I didn't even understand it. <laughs> okay that's that's even better so basically uh they're ah, like that is just something okay yeah so that was like uh it's directly connected with norse mythology but you're gonna understand that uh, as the story goes on yeah yeah you're gonna educate me about norse mythology this time <laughs> okay <laughs> Because he was feeling like from the description he gives, I am pretty sure this is called claustrophobia. So after he was feeling that claustrophobic, uh, he just went to the window because that was the normal instinct a person has. And he thought it might help to look outside. So he did. And out there, he, uh, you know, saw at the end of the block, the, you know, the bronze statue of Leif Erikson standing on a pedestal. And he was looking at, you know, the, uh, you know, Charles get overpassed and then a peculiar expression that, According to Madness, is the expression of "Look, I discovered a hiding," and uh, that is Madness' big madness at this point. Yeah. But uh, who is Layperson? I am dumb about these things. I don't know anything. Who is Layperson? I have no idea. Again, I think this is going to come up later in the story, so I'm not going to spoil that. But he is literally the namesake of this chapter. Because uh, because his mom ha- used to tell that uh, these these you know life and, and like these things used to wear Viking bras, which was basically the breastplate, and yeah. that is the namesake of this chapter. So I'm guessing that he's pretty important. Otherwise, no one makes unimportant things of the chapter. I mean, uh, the fact that you mentioned Vikings so later in this chapter, that that's it's basically you comprehension like seriously you should have Uh, used the word far before like yeah but anyways better late than never uh okay (laughs) whatever so here we get uh madness being over thoughtful again because uh, you know this just makes these these are the lines that make somehow Randall feel more human to me, even than the things that uh, you know his his actual conversations that come up later on before Magnus dies. So uh, okay, here uh, you know Uncle Randall, uh, as Magnus calls him, grew up looking at these Vikings. So here Magnus just thinks takes a moment to think that maybe Randall, you know just uh, walked around this place as a child and thought that someday I want to study the Vikings, men who wear metal black brothers too. And, <laughs> and that is such, you know, such a sweet thought. And as much as it is a thought that madness has, this also makes me think that maybe the thing, you know, when we were, let me, let me just say one small thing. When I was much, much younger, I used to just sit down and tell everybody that when I'm going to grow up, I'm going to become an astronaut and go to the moon. Because I don't know. I just wanted that because that was cool. I had no idea you had to study so much to do that. I just <laughs> thought it was cool. 
yeah um, and yeah, th- yeah that is the childish instinct that children have exactly like you just think of this uh, scenario like a baby playing and uh, like just running through the corridors of his super feudal mansion and just uh, coming to a halt while seeing this certain statue of this viking and he's just wandering gasping at it and like uh, just thinking oh my god i want to study so many statues like you you look so cool oh that's just yeah that's um i yeah, love that yeah that is the exact thing you you thought anything was cool as a kid <clears throat> i uh well i thought that i was a god so the bar is very low yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, you make me recall like <laughs> that is a different plane to go altogether okay <laughs> so after he looks outside the window after he sees that entire man with the metal bra he also sees another person and this is a person he knows very well because it's her his surrogate mom and um you know he out there he is described in a very peculiar way he's described like in a very peculiar way wearing you know black leather jacket and with black motorcycle pants pointy toe boots and his hot shot is hot not hair. his hair his short spiky and brown and everything like that and he like if i didn't know him i might have guessed he was casting some anime character it is it is not me telling it it is literally magnus saying it and yeah even before he said it i was like this just just looks like you know so many anime characters because spiky hairs are such a such a cool feature you know anime boys have for some reason but uh, it was a good old good old hood kind of okay i have already told this to you before but i would again like to add it for you know our audience but we did discuss this chapter before because the previous discussion was such a disaster such a train wreck we are doing it again <laughs> but that's an also i asked him that uh, like for the first time when i heard about her i was so i was so sh- what am i even saying he's a she that i yeah he is a she So, but when I read this entire thing, I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, shit! He's a girl." No, again, this is just sounding weird. But yeah, no, whatever. it doesn't. It And- doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, okay, listen. Uh, the same thing happened for me too when I was like reading. I didn't even pay any attention to the pronouns at the time. Like I was like, "Okay, hurt." That sounds like a girl's name, so I'm gonna assign uh, this exactly. uh, female gender to the name. And and he and he's been called his mom. So exactly, yeah, I, I that just adds to the fact. Yeah, that just adds to the fact that uh, also the heteronormative society that we grew up in. So yeah, that adds to that too. Uh, so basically, uh, that's the way I thought about hurt. But then. it was like at this moment like magnus looking out through the window and noticing her that's when i came to know that oh wait he's a he okay that's interesting and then i was like okay i got it <laughs> yeah. yeah but somehow as much as we found this entire you know thing interesting because we didn't know he's a he <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know uh, magnus obviously knew so he found this interesting alarm because he thought that hulk was following him and he was being a fairy god stalker which which is like uh, we all know how that feels you know when you are a kid and your parents are like 
are you doing good from the you know they check up on yeah. you every two minutes and they're like yeah really you think i will just appear from the room or something <laughs> that, that we know we kind of know that you know so uh, after that you know they uh, okay here we also get to know that uh heart cannot really speak or hear i, I don't know if he can't both but he definitely cannot speak. wait right that's that's an actually interesting question i i oh my god okay now i'm confused i don't recall oh my god ew this is so embarrassing um i am for sure i know that he is a silent person i mean i don't even know if that's a good way of saying that he can't speak i i don't know whether that's how we say it but i'm going to say that he is a silent person but um i um i i don't know whether he can't hear or not like i i i for sure knew but okay i forgot I'm going to find it along with you. Okay, go through the chapters. <laughs> okay. Now you have something to look forward to. Exactly. Ah, okay. Okay. So, uh, we also get another piece of information out here that he doesn't so show much, you know, expression on his face. Uh, but also the fact that he came here definitely makes me feel that he's not a pathetic but he probably doesn't show those expressions and they have a very very awkward conversation through sign language where you know uh, magnus asks him that what he's doing here and he just straight out you know ignores his question and just tells him to get out and uh, <laughs> so uh, he's like uh, yeah, yeah. like and he's like why he's, he's just kind of like not only magnus i'm confused too at this point mm. but his confusion is marred with fear the next minute because a deep voice behind him says hello magnus and uh. at the point it's a deep voice it's just a deep voice it could be anybody but even before anything happens we already know like anybody will know that this is man this is mother and this is where his the the guy he kind of fears the most the guy he wants to avoid Uh, you know uh, till that he is standing right behind him and you know uh, th- there is this in the description of you know randolph and how he has changed over the years but his voice is remain same so man is exactly. still recognizes him pretty well just like uh, even the um, way rick uh, introduces randolph to us like this hello magnus it's this so psychotic oh my god i mean yeah. Uh, yeah. that's that's the way you this, introduce this is the this is the this is the villains you know monologue every time this is how villains monologue starts when they encounter with the yes, like every okay. time like <laughs> the first first imagery that comes into my mind i'm just going to stop you like uh, if anyone has watched riverdale so uh, when there was this was this gargoyle king or someone no that was okay the the masked uh, there was this masked murderer i don't remember ba- basically betty cooper's dad but whatever so when he was calling her and there was this uh, psychotic ringtone lollipop lollipop la 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 and then uh, when she uh, picks up this phone it's like this hoarse voice of this murderer hello and then it, it just oh with the background music and stuff it just was so triggering like i don't even know like, it's the same vibe over here i was just so damn sure that he is the villain of the whole story like it has to be like him but yeah Yeah, he's just I, like I said. He sounds more like a kicked puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, okay, he just um, 
it's you know Magnus is of course out of his mind. He's like, what? And he's just he's run off. And run off is more like, uh, what a pleasant surprise. I'm glad you were here. And th okay, this point I'm actually inter you know irritated at him because who speaks like that after meeting with your nephew after two entire years? This is just rude. But uh, then he's of course there were a lot of things happening, and really he's uh, kind of out of his mind too because. They don't have much time, and he also sees that. And um, you know, Magnus out here asks, "Not much time for what?" And after that, Randolph says that you're 16 today. Aren't you? They will be coming. Ah, that's just... that is so bad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is just so bad. But that we come to the end of our second episode, and the end of the first episode in the second series of our entire podcast. So. Uh, bye, guys. I love you all, and stay tuned. You wanna add something, Swasti? Love you and love yourselves. Bye. Bye. See you later.